If you have a card, um, if you don't have a card, raise your hand. We'd love to get one to you and a pen if you need one. And Danielle and Luna, I believe, will get that to you. So just go ahead and raise your hand. But if you have one, we did this last week with John Horry, kind of for ourselves. We put in a prayer request right in the middle of it. And then we started asking God for that topic of prayer. And today I want us to do that for the people in this room. You know, when I think about one of the most uh, fundamental ways our church can grow as a community, I, my prayer is that we would orient ourselves around Christ. And I think some of, sometimes community can become um, an idol, right? We can kind of come to church more for friendships than for Jesus. Or when we have a problem or when we're in pain, we can turn more towards each other than we are turning to Jesus. And so today we're, again, moving into our prayer series, and we're moving the focus away from praying for ourselves and focusing on what it looks like to pray for each other. And if I was honest, I would say, man, like when I examine my prayer life and step back, I realize that most of the time I'm praying for myself. Have you guys ever stepped back and looked at your prayer life? Like, what percentage of it is it for you versus the people around you? And I'm just challenged when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I, I wonder if that could be reflected in our prayer life. What if we prayed for the people around us as much as we prayed for ourselves? What if 50% of our prayer life was given to our friends and our family and to different things happening around the world? And so that's some of my challenge for us this morning. Um, why we like prayer, prayer cards in our church, we're try, I'm trying to start this. I would love for you to have a card for everyone in your pod group as you pray for them. Is because it allows us to see the unfolding of God's story in our lives and in the lives of those around us, right? And so one of the people that I've prayed for for a few years, I have all, all my leadership team has prayer cards. My family has prayer cards. Some of you have prayer cards, the special ones. Um, assume that's you. And uh, what I do is I just simply put their name in the middle, right? And so I put, uh, for example, Jonathan and Kristen's adoption in the middle of my prayer card. I asked them for permission to share. And I had it for about um, three years, three and a half to four years. And every time there was another opportunity to adopt, I went ahead and I just drew a little line and wrote a circle on like an adoption in Ethiopia or a domestic adoption in Riverside or this, um, this sibling adoption, uh, maybe four and two years old, and just kind of putting a question mark, praying over them. The uh, adoption is very expensive, so I put another funding circle, praying that God would provide funding for them. And over the years, it's been amazing to see um, God's journey with them unfold on a little piece of card. And for me, maybe the best part of it is finishing that card, right? With Liam being adopted in uh, about a year ago, celebrating uh, his last court case we're praying in November, and then retiring a card and seeing all of God's grace um, being unfolded, his story being unfolded through the years. When we pray in isolation, when we pray uh, one, thinking about things one event at a time, it can get really discouraging. It can feel disconnected. Uh, but when we look at our prayer requests outside of isolation, the context of the story that God's writing for his glory and unfolding in our lives, um, we see so much more. And so here's my challenge for you on the next slide. is just think of 
one, uh, one or two friends and family and just write their name right in the middle of the card or maybe even a world event. There's so much happening in our world right now, right? With uh, North Korea, with Venezuela, with, um, other, with uh, again, Virginia. Just go, but, you know, I would say primarily write a friend or family and then you could write a world event. And then just off, off of that middle name, just go ahead and put one or two lines out and write something that you've been praying for them on. Does that make sense? And we'll just spend two minutes doing that, and then I'll come back together. Uh, after you're done writing on your prayer card, I would love for you to just uh, share that with someone next to you, uh, what you're praying for. If you have a name of someone in this room and it's supposed to be confidential, don't share that one, okay, obviously. Uh, but share something that you feel like you can uh, talk to your neighbor about. So go ahead and fill out one, two, or three cards with a couple of lines with different topics, and then uh, talk to a neighbor about them. I'll give you guys two minutes. <laughs> All right, I hope you guys just share a little bit. Uh, we'll come back to these cards later on, and maybe even um, kind of pray for each other as well. I know some of you guys just got warmed up, but... Um, <laughs> We got so much ground to cover. Let's see. So, again, like when I think about our community, there's a lot of really beautiful aspects of it. Um, we have some deep friendships going on. We enjoy hanging out with each other. We enjoy being together. But one thing our leadership team uh, started talking about, and I hear also from you, is like, is, is the friendship it? Is the community it? Is authentic with each other it? You know, and I think, again, if that's the end goal of, like, if we're friends, it becomes empty, and it becomes an idol, and, and it becomes something that disappoints us. You know, oftentimes I, I hear the concern from our congregation more being, like, am I accepted? Do I belong? Do people like me? Um, versus, like, when I'm with these people, do I love Jesus more? Are they pointing me to Christ? And when I'm with them, am I pointing them to Christ? And I, I think it's something that we're starting to really long for. And there's no better way to do that than to learn how to pray for each other. Uh, one of the lines that I've been thinking about every day is, um, let prayer be the most important work I do today. And I hope that when you think about what it means to be a close friend to someone, the best way that you can love them and minister to them is to, is to pray for them. Is that like the heart of your ministry? You know, I, I kind of challenged our children's ministry team. What if we prayed for these kids as long as we spend ministering to them? You know, what if we prayed for our worship as long as we spent on stage or we prayed for our small group as long as we spent facilitating small group? That's been my challenge as well um, as a pastor for all of you. Today, I hope to teach you two postures for prayer that I think will deepen our community and our relationships in really amazing ways. Um, and I hope that it surprises you a little bit. So the first one is, um, oh man, something, oh, here we go, on, now it's on. Um, praying like a priest. How do we pray as priests for each other? The three points is, you are a priest, surprise. Uh, role of the priests in the Old Testament, what, they, what did they 
do and how are we supposed to reflect that um, in the church? And what, if, what does it look like for us to emulate Jesus as the great high priest? First, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Um, there's so much language here that is a throwback to the thousands of years that Jews interacted with the Lord, right? And so they had this temple, this physical building and space where God resided through the Ark of the Covenant in which people would approach him. And now in the New Testament, Peter is saying that the temple of God isn't a physical building, but it's all of us coming together, us as a community coming together is building out this temple, this spiritual home. Before, there were these priests that were intermediates before the people and God. And now God's saying that we are the priesthood. We are the one to bring people to God. And lastly, that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. When we think about what it meant to be a priest in the Old Testament, there was um, Jacob who had 12 sons, and each one of these sons were um, leaders or the, the start of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his sons is named Levi. And so Levi's role and the, his lineage, all of his sons and daughters' role, was to be priests before the Lord. And they were to offer sacrifices for forgiveness to the community for the, on behalf of the community. They were to lead the community in worship and offer spiritual counsel and teaching of God's word. And um, during that time, God wanted to be with his people, but most of the time his people were unclean. And there was this sense, this, this fear that this holy God being amongst a sinful people would erect erect just massive judgment. It's just part of who God is. He's love, he's gracious, but he's also holy. And this holiness has this immediate reaction towards sin where there's judgment. And so, but because God wanted to be with his people, he had to build out all these barriers so that this holiness wouldn't bring judgment on people. And he brought in with, and, and there was these, this group of priests who lived this clean, holy lifestyle. They would do all these rituals so that they could approach God on behalf of the people. They could worship God, uh, leading people into worship. They could offer sacrifices to the Lord. Um, they could offer spiritual counsel. You know, one of the, um, being a high priest which is once in a lifetime, for once a year, you're chosen on behalf of the Jewish people to offer a sin offering in the Holy of Holies, kind of this, the most inner part of the temple that no one could go into, not even a priest could go into. The high priest once a year can walk into that. Kind of, it's, it's symbolic of being like right bef- in front of God, right in his throne room. And they would go through massive amounts of rituals, cleanliness rituals, in order to walk into the presence of the Lord, in order to offer a sacrifice of atonement or forgiveness for the people. And before they walked in, the other priests, right outside of this, this huge curtain, three feet wide, they would tie um, a rope on his ankle, 
and they would tie bells on his robe. Because as he's walking into the Holy of Holies, they're like afraid that God might strike him down because he didn't do some act of cleanliness. And if, they, if he was struck down there, no one else could go in. So they had the rope to pull him back out. I mean, that's scary. And I think we've lost sight of that God, right? This God that is irreproachable light. This God that is fantastically holy that we should tremble under. And that's why they had this tabernacle, this temple to build out that separation between this holy God and a sinful people, but a God who wanted to be with his people. And that's why we had priests as well, representing the people before the Lord. But because of Jesus, he is our great high priest. And he comes, he forgives our sins, he dies on the cross for us, and all of a sudden, this massive curtain that separates man and God between the Holy of Holies and everyone else is torn in half. That's what happens at the death of Christ. And we get to approach God and talk to him face to face. And this is what it says. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus takes on human flesh, our human nature, to become our great high priest, to represent us before the Father. And he still does this. He sits on the right hand of God, being our high priest, interceding for our needs. That when he sees us, he understands how we struggle. He understands our weakness. He sits alongside of us, and he brings our need before God. He brings us to the Father so that we're able to receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. And as we are priests, we have this great priestly example that we are to follow. So what does it mean to pray like a priest? Well, first, it means that we, we take on that identity, that we have a role as a priest. What an amazing role. Um, man, if we, were a, if we understood Jewish culture, we would just be humbled that God would call us a priest, that our function is to bring people before the Lord. And how does Jesus do that? And how is he calling us to do that? First, I think what a priest does is, it, is he empathizes with people. He's willing to humbly enter into their space of pain, longing, hurt, sadness. And Jesus does that, right? He comes to earth and he, um, he sits with a woman who's broken. He weeps when he hears that Lazarus has died. He, um, he looks at people and he says that his, he has compassion to them. And I wonder, as we minister to people, are we willing to enter into their pain? Are we willing to enter into their space with empathy? And it takes humility to do that. You know, I think that sometimes when I see um, our community interact, there's a sense of pride. There's a sense of like, they're just crazy. Or I don't see why, I can't understand why they're still struggling with that. 
Or, man, like, <laughs> you know, just like a dismissiveness, like label and dismiss. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He has great empathy for people. He's willing to enter into their space. And I wonder if we've wrestled enough with our weakness and need for grace that when someone is hurting, we are willing to say, man, I see and understand why you would be tempted in that way. I have felt that weakness as well, and I'm willing to enter into your weakness with you and see from your lens. Um, I've had multiple men, you know, over my years of ministry talk about how they've cheated on their wives to differing degrees. And my first thought is, yeah, I'm not bulletproof. Um, I felt that temptation. I could sit with you there. I mean, my number one accomplishment, I pray for the next 50 years, will be faithful to Nina. But at the same time, I don't feel invincible to that. So when someone's sharing their heart with you, their vulnerability, when you see a weakness in their life, do you feel your need for grace as well? I think secondly, we're unable to empathize if we are afraid of our own emotions. If we're not willing to sit with our own pain or our own sadness or our own anger or our own hurt. I think the best people who uh, can empathize well are people who are really emotionally aware and unafraid of their own emotion. And so when someone else is sad, we don't have to like make a joke, right? We don't have to like run away. When someone feels abandoned, we've wrestled with some of our abandonment issues, so we're just not like having an allergic reaction to them. So when we feel healed and when we understand Jesus empathizing with our weakness and we can enter into the vulnerable spaces in our own lives, that's what allows us to enter into the vulnerable spaces in others. And I think when we feel healed from certain areas, we can offer that healing to others. The best place of empathy comes when we've struggled there as well. And we can say, man, I've experienced Jesus here and I can sit with you in that pain. When I, again, when I look at our community, though, um, I, my prayer is that we would go beyond empathy. We would go beyond sitting in someone's space with them. I think we do that pretty well. But, but what it looks like to be a priest isn't just to sit with them, but to bring them before the throne. To have, to bring people before a real God. And so what does it look like to, like Jesus said, man, because he's empathizing with us, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. How are we sitting with someone, listening to them, feeling their pain, but then helping them find the Lord as well, right? So as I'm in their space, um, emotively in their space, seeing through their lens, how do I become a priest that says, now, how do I, now let me find God with you here, right? I'm not pulling you out of depression. I'm not pulling you out of your circumstance. I'm not pulling you out of your emotion. But in your emotion, in your sadness, in your hurt, how do I be the priest that looks from your position next to you and tries to see God from where you're at? 
to bring you to the throne of the Lord, to open your eyes to see God maybe where you're having a hard time seeing him, to show you God in the place where I've been similarly and have found him, and to receive God's grace, mercy, and help as we find him there. Um, that's what it says in the previous verse, right? That when we, are, when we draw near to the throne of grace, we may receive mercy, find grace, and help in our time of need. You know, maybe my greatest fear is that we sit with someone in their space and we become the savior. We become the answer. We become their source of help. We become their source of grace. And even though we are to extend those things, ultimately, we can't bring transformation. We can't bring real healing. We, there's so many things we can't do. Our role is to simply say, hey, I'm with you, and here's God. And how, how do I bridge the gap between you and the Lord? How do I bring you to the Father and have you tangibly find his grace, mercy, and help during that time? So at the end of the day, when I'm serving someone as a priest, is it about me or is it about the Father reaching down and them finding him, them finding his help, his hand, his words, his love in that space? The second posture that I would love us to take as we pray, and this is a bold one, is to pray like a prophet. And so praying like a priest is, is being with people and bringing them to the Lord. Praying like a prophet is bringing people to God, right? So if me and Mitchell are sitting next to each other, a priest would sit down next to him and enter into his space and say, man, I, I feel that too. I've been there before. If you're crying, I want to hurt and cry with you. And here's Jesus. I think, I think maybe you could find him in this space, or maybe he's here. Would, would God meet you where you're at as I sit with you here? But being a prophet, there's a sense of authority there. A prophet is the mouthpiece of God. And so when I minister like a prophet, I'm standing in the place of the Lord, right? And I'm speaking to him as God would speak to him. So maybe Mitchell's sitting here on stage, and as a prophet, I would stand with the Lord and ask, God, what are you wanting to speak over Mitchell? What, are, what is your heart and your lens for him? And how do I take that on and minister to him? It's a bold thing. Prophets see in the Old Testament, I'm just going to highlight Ezekiel uh, chapter 11, verse 5. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me to say, and that's pretty much the baseline of what it means to be a prophet. The Spirit of the Lord coming over you, um, empowering this person to speak um, for the Lord, right? The definition of a prophet is the mouthpiece of God, that you're speaking on behalf of God. It's a big deal. But we are all to be prophets. I think about Jesus. When he talks about John the Baptist, he says, he is the greatest of all prophets. But then he says that the least in God's kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that crazy that when you take all the prophets of the Old Testament, right? Uh, Samuel, Nathan, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, and John the Baptist, 
And Jesus is saying, like, every person in this room who knows him and has the spirit is greater than all of these guys. That's a bold statement. Why does Jesus say this? Um, Because he's, man, shoot, I don't have the reference there. Sorry, guys. That's That's important, by the way. Oh, no. It's in the Bible. Someone help me. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on our Facebook later. I think it's in John. I'm sorry. This is like a, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it's like a massive mistake not to put a Bible reference down. Okay, here we go. Just trust me on this. Just trust me. And I will ask the Father, it is for sure in John. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Okay, so here in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon the prophets. But um, as an analogy or something that you could visualize, I would say the Spirit was kind of like, sitting on their shoulder or was empowering them, but outside of them and would give them uh, words and lenses and, and, and things to articulate over nations, right? Like Jonah speaking over the Ninevites. But here in the New Testament, something radically different happens. The spirit doesn't come out, come to a person to empower them from the outside. The spirit lives inside of us. That's a big deal, right? One of my favorite lines is to ask like, Dude, that's such an intimate thing to say the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Think about it this way. What if I said, Jamie, I'll live inside of you, right? Isn't that like the creepiest thing you've ever heard? (laughs) Andy, do you want me to live inside of you? I could whisper to you. I could, you know, show you where to go. That's like super creepy. Not even Nina would want me to live inside of her. And so think about that. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. He indwells us. And that's a different level of intimacy um, than any of the Old Testament ever experienced. And what else does it say about the Spirit? That the Spirit will teach us all things, that he'll remind us of what Jesus taught and teach us um, all things. Um, and so there's this, there's this interaction that the Spirit is speaking to us, that the Spirit wants to lead us, that the Spirit wants to show us things. You have a question? Oh, oh, yeah. Reference? Yeah? Oh, something happened. Okay. Did you put it up there? Man, Jesse, well done. <laughs> Told you it was in John. Ah, that felt great. Okay. So, um, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul urges brothers and sisters, us, to be eager to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues. One day we'll jump into that passage and, and um, really look at it. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 11, talks about all of these different spiritual gifts. And they're, they're a little different than the other gifts in the Bible because these are gifts of the Spirit where we are completely dependent on the Spirit and he speaks to us in order to bring a message or a healing to other people. 
And he says that the manifestations of gifts are given to us common good and that everyone has a different spiritual gifts, right? So there's the word of wisdom, a message of knowledge, gifts of healing, uh, miraculous power, prophecy, distinguishing between the spirits or discernment, uh, speaking in different tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So as a church, um, some of you guys don't know this, but we believe in all of these gifts of the spirit. But let me boil it down to you. Um, what I believe these gifts look like and are, can be experienced in is when I pray for someone or when I'm operating out of my own life, I simply want to hear from the Spirit. I simply want to believe that the Spirit speaks to me. He lives inside of me, and he wants to speak over my brother and sister when I pray for them. And he wants to speak over my life. You know, one of the things that the prophet does as he's speaking for the voice of God, is God's just making fun of all of these other idols. He calls them blind, mute, death. You know, he says they're just lumps of wood. And he says, I'm different from these gods. I'm different from these idols because I speak, because I listen to my people, because I act. And, and I believe that for us. I believe that as the Spirit lives inside of us, that he's speaking to us, that he's giving us eyes to see and he wants us to speak um, his voice into each other's lives. And so when we pray as a prophet, like a prophet, what we're doing is we're bringing people, we're bringing God to people. And the first thing we need to do is we need to know his word. Please don't do this unless you know the Bible. <laughs> um, and what I found is that as I know the Bible well, um, God primarily, the Holy Spirit primarily speaks to me through his word, and then he takes the word that, that I know, that I've studied, and then he narrows it. He makes it super precise, like a sword, and he penetrates into a specific situation, a specific circumstance, or he wants me to say it to a, say a, some, a specific passage to a person, right? But we have to know his word first. How are we grappling with the scripture so that we can have the Holy Spirit speak to us in the language of the Bible. And that's his primary means of communication. Also, as we listen to the word of, to the Holy Spirit, we have to come to him, come knowing that we are flawed, right? Like I've listened for the spirit for a while and sometimes I'm wrong. And all of us can be wrong. None of us are infallible as we listen to the spirit. But the word of God is, is perfect. The word of God will never let you down. The word of God is our anchor. And so that's the confidence we have as we approach scripture that we don't have that kind of confidence as we listen to the spirit, not because he might be wrong, but because we can listen uh, in a flawed way. We can be wrong. Okay, so as we know God's word and as we, are, we believe that the spirit, when he speaks to us, oftentimes, most of the times, is out of God's word and will never be in contradiction to God's word, right? So those are the rails and the parameters in which the Spirit speaks. Then we start learning to hear his voice. And I think this is a really important thing. Um, you know, Ben was really surprised by me when I first started le leading worship because I can play in the key of E but sing in the key of G for five whole minutes, right? It's, it's really difficult. I, I don't know if you ever tried that, Rachel, but it's really hard to play in one key and sing in another. Basically, I was tone deaf. 
And um, that's the point. Oh, you guys didn't get that. Only Rachel got it. She laughed early. Um, and so, but, you know, as I played guitar over like 15 years or whatever, um, I can sing mostly in the right key now, which is like a miracle, right? And it's because I can start hearing notes and uh, I know the melody and my ears have become more and more tuned to music. In the same way, when we start hearing the voice of the Lord or longing to hear the Spirit speak to us, we probably can't hear him from our thoughts, from the thoughts of, from our last Netflix episode, you know, like we have no way to distinguish his voice outside of scripture. But as you say, God, I want to hear from you more. And you pause to listen to him when you're bringing up your prayers, when you're about to pray for someone else, you'll start honing in on his voice. Um, It will be gentle. It will be kind. It will be loving. It will be gracious. It will be strong. It will be. It will ask you to take action, um, and it will. It'll, you'll see the roots of his voice be deeply into the Word of God, every time. And so every morning, some of the exercises I do is like, uh, I'll just write a simple line. I'll say, "What do I hear from the Lord?" And I'll just pause for a few minutes and write down what I hear from God. Or when I uh, I had fourteen appointments this week with a lot of people in this room. And before I meet with you, I'll just stop and I'll pray. I'll be like, hey, I'm meeting with Mitchell today. Is there anything that you want me to speak over him? You know, or when people are sharing um, their problems with me or, or their, their uh, hurts, I have an ear towards them. I have an ear towards, uh, but then I have another ear towards the Father. And I'm like, hey, as I hear this person, is there anything that you are speaking over them? And there's different gifts, and I think people will operate uh, with a specific way of hearing God primarily, but I feel like we could hear God in all of these different ways, right? We can get a word of knowledge, which means we kind of hear something supernatural over a person's life that we wouldn't know on our own, or a word of wisdom where you could give someone direction that you feel like is from the Lord and not just some, a good idea you thought of. You could uh, have a word of prophecy where you speak over someone. Oftentimes, I'm speaking prophecy of value and like sonship and daughtership over people. You know, I I hope that this makes you excited to like engage in God more. (laughs) I think sometimes we, we get like, I think when God isn't alive and speaking and real and listening and moving and and asking you to do stuff, your relationship with God can be like uh, really sterile and and stagnant. But when you're saying, God, I long to hear you, wow, I long to talk to someone and listen to your voice at the same time, the the relationship with God will become so much more dynamic, and the Jesus you read about in Scripture will be the same one you get to have conversations with. Um, Lastly, I encourage us to do it in community, meaning like... um, when I speak over someone, I, I want to do it because I have a relationship with them, and I, I love them. Um, in the charismatic churches I used to go to, I, I don't condone this. Maybe it's not totally wrong, but our church would never do this. They have, like, a prophet who comes in, and then people line up, and then they, like, talk, over, talk to everyone about what God says to them. And I'm like, and I think, you know, again, personal church opinion 
which matters a lot since I'm the pastor here. Um, so again, this will never happen at our church. But in my mind, it's like, do you really know and love me? I guess that's the simple question. And I think when you have someone speak over you or when you're speaking over other people, make sure you know and love them. Um, I will not let someone like speak over my life unless I know they love me and I believe they know me. And in that relationship, it's okay for them to be wrong too. And because I have the spirit living in me, right? So the Holy Spirit in my heart will confirm or deny their voice and they could be wrong, but it's okay because we know each other. You know what I'm saying? Um, let me give you some examples of this. So some basic stuff like um, Saturday morning, I like, I'm really excited to wake up on Saturdays. Sometimes I wake up like at 4 a.m. and I can't go back to sleep because it's my volleyball day. It is my volleyball day, and I love volleyball day. Sometimes I'll have a few volleyball days. Sometimes it's just Saturday. So I, I woke up on Saturday, big smile like this, um, and then I go to my dresser, and I'm pulling it out. And I'm looking for my, my board shorts. I'm about to, like, beeline it out. But then Liam cries, right? And I was like, ah, man, poor Nina. She's going to have to, like, wake up, you know? <laughs> And then the Holy Spirit said, dude, what if you gave a volleyball today uh, to be with your son and to let Nina sleep in? I was like, that's not from the Lord. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> but, you know, scripture, the whole dying to yourself thing, it felt like death to give a volleyball, by the way. Um, and, uh, and to love your wife, you know, all that. I was like, okay. That's how I say okay to Jesus. <laughs> Uh, do you hear the pain in there? And then, and then Nina's like, and then I was like debating, and Nina's like, it'd be really nice if just maybe you'd stay back and watch Liam. But she had no hope in that statement, right? And I said, Nina, I'm gonna give a volleyball today and watch Liam. And she was like, really? And she, and you can ask her later, like, uh, she was like really touched by that because the night before we were hanging out with another couple, and um, I was like, you know. God, family, volleyball. Those are the things that give me life, right? And then in Nina's mind, she's like, it's probably God, volleyball, family, you know? Like, I don't blame her. And and so when I did this, she felt ministered to because she's like, maybe God heard my prayer that, you know, you love volleyball more than us, but then today you proved you didn't. And um, it was a big deal for her, right? And so like those simple times where God speaks to you, um, a more significant one, there's a few of them, but there's a more significant one was when I prayed with Jonathan uh, for Lincoln. And I had prayed with him at that point probably for like seven to ten other kids that, we, that they were looking to adopt. And I remember when we were praying for Lincoln, um, God just said, this one's it. And it was really early, and I was, honestly, I was scared to say that to him because I could be wrong. But it redirected my prayer. So that instead of praying something more open, like, what is your will, Lord? And like, maybe this one. I just felt confident in saying, Lord, like, we just desire Lincoln to be a part of this family. And we believe this is the family that you've uh, prepared for us, you know? And if you hear their story, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. And then when I sit down and counsel people, I'll just ask the Lord to direct our conversation. Um, this... This person was having conflict with another person. 
And I just really felt like God was starting to hone in on like what I can say that would encourage him, right? So what, so as we think about praying, oh my gosh, it's 1154, my goodness. Sorry, Ben. I'm sorry. Um, Jeez, I talked forever. Um, So I wonder like as we pray for these people in our lives, and as we pray for each other, what it looks like to um, pray as a priest. Uh, you know, that's, if I, could, if I could shift our community, I want to have each of us own our prophet and priest identities, that the Spirit of God lives inside of us, that we get to approach the throne of God for each other. And I would love to shift our conversations the way we sit with each other and empathize when we hear each other's heartaches, when we sit with each other wrestling with depression or sin, and to just kind of push it into, okay, let's not have this be about me and you. Let's have this be about the Lord. And how can I bring the Lord into this space? And um, as we look at this, the prayer card, I wonder what it looks like to pray for this person as a priest And I wonder what it looks like to pray for this person as a prophet, to hear from the Lord and to speak over them, to allow the Spirit to say something over us. I want us to give, I want to give us some time for that. Um, So I'll just lead us into a time of silence, and then I'll uh, wrap up our our time together with some worship. Uh, The worship team can come up. Would you just go ahead and look at that card that you wrote? And ask what it looks like for you to be a priest to this person, what it looks like for you to be a prophet to this person, and just start uh, praying over them. God, we just ask for more of you in our lives, um, that we would expect you to speak to us, we would expect you to um, allow us to pray powerfully, um, allow us to show people you where they can receive help, receive grace and mercy, like really powerful things. Yeah, we want that, Lord, for our community and for ourselves. Um, I pray that you would change the way we interact here at Renew. That community isn't the answer. We're, we're, we're not going to be a good enough friend. We need to point each other to you, God. We need you. Um, our best act of friendship is to bring your words to our brothers and sisters, is to sit with our brothers and sisters in empathy and love and to show them where you're at. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, parents, you might need to pick up your kid in like five to ten minutes. Everyone else, we're probably going to go over, so sorry about that. Um, but I, what I would like us to do, and as a church again, is to um, just really s- set apart more time uh, and priority for communion. It's a big deal. Um, like we are priests and prophets because Jesus died for us, because He welcomes us into the holy of holies by shedding His blood, so that we don't have to stand in fear and judgment of the Lord. We could have His forgiveness. We are prophets. We have the spirit living inside of us because Jesus died for us. 
So today, I would love for us, uh, if we don't mind just standing up, and during this first song, can we just go back and receive communion together? All right? Will we stand together? I would also invite you to, um, maybe God right now is putting someone on your heart to pray for. You know, you saw their Facebook post, or you prayed with them at small group, and you want to pray with them again. Um, After we take communion, I would love for you to just uh, pray for each other as well.